Welcome to the serialized audiobook of Title Fight, Season 2 of the Galactic Football League series. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. Title Fight is also available as an ebook and as an ad free, unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit slash title fight. Wayne was always a little crazy, but nothing like this. Korak had lost count of how many times he'd defended his title. The day before every fight, he and the challenger would weigh in before fans, media, and, via the cameras, millions of sentients all over the galaxy. The challenger would pose, brag, boast, and Korak would just stand there saying nothing. Why should he talk? He was the king, this was his court, and the challenger was invariably just another jester. But it didn't feel like that this time. This time, it felt like a coronation of a new king, Kyle the Heretic North. That's what everyone here thought. They all thought that Kai would be the one to finally take Korak's heavyweight championship belt. But titles weren't given. They had to be taken. Korak hated the weigh-in ceremony. He hated the charade, actually. The fans, the media, advertisers, all of it. If he had all the power in the universe, a fight would consist of nothing but an octagon, two ring crews, and two fighters. No one else. He stepped up to the scale. Lights glared. Fans and media shouted at him like annoying insects. Some screamed support. Some hurled epithets. One-on-one, there wasn't a person in this room Korak the Cutter couldn't kill barehanded. Well, there was one, if you counted the heretic. Sometimes, Korak wished he could kill them all, wipe them away. Fighting wasn't about them. It was about going toe-to-toe with another sentient and deciding in the most primitive of ways who was better. He stepped onto the scale. The horde of insects buzzed louder. He'd made weight. Of course he had, exactly ten grams below. Vicor the Black monitored every bite Korak ate, counted the caloric expenditure of every motion, even down to Korak's blinking. Vicor knew how to have his fighters dialed in, and with 20 years of biofeedback and data tracking, the Quith leader knew everything there was to know about keeping the champ at perfect fighting weight. Reporters shouting questions, asking him to flex, to show the fists like all the fighters did at the weigh-in. Korak ignored them. The sooner he got off the scale and allowed Kyle to weigh in, the sooner he could be out of this zoo. The giant human killing machine stepped up to the scale, and the crowd seemed to lose its collective mind. He dressed in old earth fashion, like a samurai. Idiot probably didn't even know what a samurai really was. Korak knew. He'd studied every warrior culture in the known universe, always looking for some edge in technique, in discipline, in philosophy. His favorites were the Hurrah tribe of the Sahana and the extinct human tribe of the Maori. The samurai weren't bad, although they did go a bit overboard with the whole respect thing. Respect was fine for ceremony. But once the fight began, 
The only rules that mattered were winning and survival. The last sentient standing got to live. Simplicity itself. A pure philosophy that could not be argued. The human disrobed, then started flexing for the crowd. Just like the rest of the jesters. Play to the cameras, pose for the show. If Korak could have invented time travel to bring some real samurai to see this, he would have done anything to make that happen. The heretic stepped onto the scale. Korak watched the readout. How about that? The human was three grams under. Just three. Precision or luck? Just one more tooth in his head and he'd have been overweight. The human crossed his forearms, some parody of a superstitious symbol. Humans were crazy for the primitive beliefs created before science. When he did it, of course, the crowd roared even louder. They might as well have been puppets on the end of Kyle's strings. The human held up a beverage can. One of the sponsors, likely, correct, didn't know. Vicor the Black handled such things. The human smashed the metal can with his elbow, held the can up, and let alcohol spill all over him. Then he shook up the remnants and sprayed them over the two nearly naked human females. Oh, truly, such an honor to the memory of the samurai. Very good, Korak said quietly. But can't not hit back. Korak walked off the stage. Four humans in emerald green body armor materialized seemingly out of nowhere. Two in front, two behind. They had escorted him to the weigh-in, walking with him every step from his room. Korak hadn't cared then, but now he just wanted to be alone. They each held an electric nightstick in one hand, their other hand resting on the hilt of a holstered projectile pistol. On the left breast of each guard's chest, a white infinity symbol on a gold shield, each man's name stenciled below the design in small letters. One of them faced Korak, while the other stared out into the crowd, clearly hoping someone would approach and start trouble. The one facing him had the name J. Cartwright. Where would you like to go, sir? Cartwright said. Just get out of my way. Cartwright shook his helmeted head. I can't do that, sir. We're here for your protection. Do I look like I need protection? Cartwright smiled. Korak towered over the human. Even in their riot gear, Korak could have thrashed all four of them in a matter of seconds. On Buddha City Station, yeah, you do, Cartwright said. Why don't we just make this easy? Where would you like to go? Korak calmed himself. Best to just accept their protection, lest some racist jerk try and take him out. Wouldn't do to get shot just a day before the fight. I'm going to my manager's room, Korak said. Deck 17. Cartwright tapped the left side of his helmet. The package is going to Deck 17. Team B, secure main causeway elevator bank. Clear lift 4. No media. I say no media. Use of excessive force to keep the path clear is authorized. Cartwright wheeled and started walking. His three human cohorts did the same. Korak the Cutter walked in the center of them all, wondering how many Buddha City station residents or visitors would be stupid enough to try and force their way close for an autograph.
Korak reached Vicor the Black's room. During the walk, a Scalorno journalist tried to get too close, screaming questions in her thin, hyper voice. One of Cartwright's cohorts had hit the Sklorno six times with the electric baton. She'd stopped moving after the third hit. Maybe the last three were just for emphasis. The Greens took up positions on either side of Vicor's door. Korak walked inside. The whole camp was waiting. Timmy McMurphy, Doc Bata, Vicor the Black, and their secret weapon, Malachi, Ides of March, McMasters. The former Crusaders heavyweight champ was Vicor's idea, a consultant that gave insights to purist nation thinking and strategy. Sure, the heretic had reinvented himself to become the most lethal human being ever to set foot in the octagon, but he'd still spent 18 years in the nation. A sentient couldn't unlearn everything. McMasters had been in Korak's camp the last six weeks, working on ways to get a mental advantage over Kyle North. McMasters looked furious, his face all red the way humans sometimes get. The strange coloring made the faded infinity tattoo on his forehead stand out in comical relief. Korak looked everyone over. Timmy looked afraid, like he thought McMasters might start thrashing everyone in the room at any moment. Doc Bataf fluttered in place. He looked agitated, uncomfortable, but he had ever since they'd left Ionath City weeks before. What's going on? Korak said. Nothing, Vicor said. Ides was just leaving. That's fine with me, McMaster said, and stormed toward the door. Korak stepped in his path. No. I want to hear what you thought of the weigh-in. Anything I can use against the heretic tomorrow. McMaster's glared up. Like any fighter, he didn't take kindly to someone telling him where he could and couldn't go. Stepping in front of a fighter, a real fighter, almost always produced a singular result. A fight. Hence the term, fighters. The old human looked like he might have given most anyone a good scrap. But Korak the Cutter wasn't most anyone. Champ, McMaster said. I'm leaving. Get out of my way. No, Korak said. First you're going to tell me why you're angry. Then you will tell me what you're paid to tell me. What's going through Kyle North's mind? Vicor scurried over. He's leaving, Korak. Let him go. Korak ignored his shamakath. Instead, he just stared down at McMaster's. Not you, McMaster said. I never thought you would do it. What are you talking about? McMaster's turned his head and spit on the floor. One of the more curious human expressions of disgust, of disrespect. Korak didn't really understand what it meant. He just knew that he should have killed McMaster's on the spot. I've been in the fight game since before you even hatched, McMaster said. You think I'm stupid? Vicor actually tugged on McMaster's jacket sleeve. Get out! Immediately! McMaster's didn't budge. Korak never broke his stare. I have a title fight tomorrow. This is not a good time to play games with me. What are you talking about? The line, McMaster said, then spit again. The shucking line has drawn even. Now Korak understood. Yesterday, the line had been five to one in Kyle North's favor. 
McMaster stays, Korak said. Everyone else, out. Vicor's black fur bristled. You don't tell me to- Out, Korak said. Everyone out right now. We have to talk. One fighter to another. Doc Bataf fluttered out. Timmy tried to make himself as small as possible, which wasn't all that hard. Vicor the Black stared, but Korak ignored him. Korak hated the weight of that stare, but if the fix was in, his manager had to be a part of it. Vicor turned and walked out. Korak felt Vicor's rage at being disobeyed, the leader's disappointment at a warrior who would not follow orders. Korak stood alone with McMasters. McMasters spit on the floor. Do that again, Korak said, and we fight. That's fine. Maybe I can scrounge up enough money to pay you to take a dive. I would never take a payment to lose. Many have tried. You sure don't seem to mind paying to win. Korak's middle hand shot out and up, his hand wrapped around McMaster's neck. The man was old, but no pushover. His hands flashed up, one on Korak's wrist, the other pinching into the elbow. McMaster started to squeeze and turn, a move that would hyperextend the elbow joint, but stopped instantly. Korak's left pedipalp was on the human's face, the thumb pressing into the eye. One more ounce of pressure, Korak would blind him. Okay, McMaster said. I should have known better. Korak let him go. I don't know anything about a payoff. I am ready to fight and win or die trying. McMasters looked at Korak for a long time, then nodded. I can't read the faces of you ugly shuckers, but I believe you. But, champ, the line went even. No disrespect. Because you got the title and all, but that means the word is out that the fix is in. The heretic is taking a dive. I thought this fight was special, you know. Two real warriors going at it, but the scumbags got their dirty hands all over it again. Nothing pure left in this universe. You said you've never met him. Is that right? McMasters nodded. Never met him in person. Seen him fight, though. Can you talk to him? Why? Because I need to know, Korak said. I need to know if he's going to take a dive or if he's going to be a true warrior. Man, how the hell would I know? I don't know him from High One. You know sentience. You thought I was part of this fix. You talked to me for ten seconds, and now you believe I know nothing about it. You know the truth of words. Please, this could be my last fight. I need to know if it's pure. McMaster's thought for a few seconds. Korak waited. This was really the only possible way to know if the fix was on. I know he drinks, McMaster said. A lot. Even before fights. I can make the rounds to the bars. Give the bartenders a little something to call me if he comes in. Maybe I can size him up, champ. But I can't promise anything. Find out. Korak said. You can and you will. Meet me back in my room when you have the information. The human walked out of the room. Korak waited a few seconds, then walked out himself. His four-human escort was waiting for him. They snapped to attention. Where to, sir? Cartwright asked. My room. I need food. 
He walked. The green-suited humans fell into place all around him. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Food had been waiting in his room when he arrived. He took his time, dragging the meal out for more than an hour. Each element of dinner, carefully chosen by Vicor. Korak had made weight, so he didn't have to worry about pounds, but Vicor knew exactly what needed to be in Korak's digestive system and bloodstream before the fight. Mostly protein. Korak took his time eating the spindly ciata bugs. He preferred them fried, but these were baked. Maybe after the fight... He'd indulge. If there was an after. He'd made up his mind. If the fix was on, he wasn't stepping in the octagon. He would forfeit, take the loss on his record, and retire. If it wasn't an honorable win over the heretic, he didn't want it. Once inside the ring, Korak would do whatever it took to win, use cheap shots, dirty tricks, pressure points, 
anything possible, but he would not accept victory over an opponent that wasn't truly fighting back. The computer chimed an alert. Malachi McMasters and others at your door. McMasters and others. Korak didn't like the sound of that. Let them in. The door opened. McMasters came through first, shoved more than anything else. He regained his balance. His face glowed red with hot rage. Behind him came two quith warriors. Heavily scarred and enameled, clearly vets. The first one held a revolver aimed at McMaster's back. Korak didn't know him, but he recognized the second warrior. Byrak the Mean, linebacker for the newly promoted Ionath Krakens. The Krakens, who were owned by that gangster, Greedock the Splithead. And when a small, meticulously groomed Blackford Quith leader came in next, Korak knew whom it had to be. Greedock the Splithead, I presume? Correct, champ, Greedock said. It is an honor to meet you. Korak started to ask what was going on when one more sentient walked through the door, and he knew exactly what was going on. His Shamakath, Vicor the Black. Vicor, Korak said. What have you done? What had to be done, Vicor said. And it's not your concern to know such things. It's already been taken care of. Korak had suspected this, prepared for it, but even in doing so, he'd never thought it could be true. Not really. The knowledge cut at his soul, made his head feel heavy, even made his knees hurt for some odd reason. What has been taken care of? You are not the fighter you were, Vicor said. You deserve to retire undefeated. Korak looked at his longtime manager, his friend, his Shamakath. But Korak didn't see those things anymore. Now he saw betrayal. He saw weakness. He saw Vicor for what he really was. Just another one of the screaming masses, just like the buzzing insects back there at the weigh-in. Korak had no allies, no brother warriors. He had nothing. He was alone. And he knew in the deep part of his being that really did know everything, the part that analyzed reality and did away with feelings, he knew a true fighter is always alone. I deserve whatever the octagon tells me I deserve. Inside the octagon is all that matters. You taught me that. You. That's right, Vicor said. I taught you. I taught you everything. Korak felt the fight rage building inside of him. He pushed it down. This was Vicor, not the heretic, not Mark the Mangler Wheeler. When? Korak asked. When is Kyle supposed to go down? Vicor refused to make eye contact. Third round. The words were like a death sentence on Korak's career, his friendship with Vicor. They were the end of everything he'd held sacred. Your Shamakath kept you alive, Greedock said. Or at least he tried to. Korak turned to face Greedock. Why? Why did you butcher what we worked so hard for? Vicor flinched. His eye turned dark green. McMaster's head hung low, and Korak saw wetness in the human's eyes. The other two Quith warriors stayed alert, 
ready to shoot, but shame radiated from them as well, clouding their eyes a dark green color. They didn't want to be a part of this either. Greedock, the Splithead, however, stood unfazed. His eye remained clear. Vicor came to me and asked me to arrange an outcome for your fight. I tried to do that, but I just ran into Mr. McMaster's after he talked your opponent about tomorrow, and perhaps now things need to change. McMaster's, tell him. Shuck you, McMaster's said. Virak the Mean crossed the room in a flash. Maybe he wasn't a pro fighter, but he was a pro football player and had the athletic skill required for his job. His revolver whipped down on McMaster's temple in one smooth, fast motion. McMaster's dropped to the ground, blood pouring from a fresh cut. Apologize, Virak said. McMaster's touched his temple. His hands came away dotted with blood. Um, I'm sorry, Greedock. McMaster stood. He looked at Korak, then wiped away a tear, leaving a small blood smear on his cheek. He wasn't crying from the pain. He was crying for the death of an imagined ideal. I did what you asked, champ. I found Kyle. I sized him up. He's not going to throw the fight. He's coming at you. Hope surged again in Korak's soul. Maybe there was a way out of this, a way to fight with honor. But I can't allow that to happen, Greedock said. I have too much riding on this fight. After you sent McMaster's out on your little errand, champ, I felt it was time to speak with you face to face. The heretic goes down in the third. You win. You retire undefeated, the greatest champion our people have ever known. You will not lose to that human. I just told you, McMaster said. I won't throw the fight. Greedock's antenna twitched. He will, or he will not get into the octagon, and he will forfeit. McMasters laughed. I'm not stupid enough to insult you again, Greedock, but I looked into his eyes and I can say this. Only way Kyle doesn't get in the octagon tomorrow is if you kill him first. That can be arranged, Greedock said. Virak, Chodo, Get the rest of the crew and go present Kyle North with his options. He's in the gym, one level up. And while you are at it, kindly solicit a heartfelt apology from him for the way he spoke to me earlier. Virak and Shota walked out of the room. No. Korak would not let this happen. Maybe he'd underestimated Kyle's warrior spirit. All the showmanship, the verbal garbage, the game-playing. When you got right down to it, did any of that really matter once the ref closed the octagon door? No. All that mattered was winning by any means possible. Korak had watched Kai's fight against Brokaw the Razor Barbed, seen what the human was like inside the ring. Inside the ring, Kyle North was the best that had ever been, and inside the ring was where this fight would be decided. Korak walked to the door. You're not going anywhere, Greedock said. Sit down. Korak ignored him. He reached the door, then came up short. Vicor the Black blocked his path. Korak, you stay in this room, Vicor said. This is best for you. An insect. One of the screaming masses. 
That's all Vicor was. Korak let his stubby antenna rise up, stand straight. He would not brush them back for Vicor, not ever again. Get out of my way. I am now Ronin. You are dead to me. Both Korak and Greedock shivered visibly. There could be no greater insult to a leader than for a warrior to rescind fealty. You're upset, Vicor said. You have to trust me. You have to... Korak punched Vicor the Black. A straight right middle arm jab. The tiny leader flew back and hit the door. Plastic cracked and enamel paint flew. Vicor went right through, falling on the other side. I'll see to it that you're tried for that, Greedock said. Korak turned on him, grabbed him by his tiny middle shoulders, lifted him up off the ground. Release me, Greedock said. You will put me down or I will... Korak shook him violently. The leader's head bobbled like a toy. You will shut up, Korak said. You sent your warriors away, you fool. You won't do anything to me, not until after the fight, and we both know it. And after the fight, nothing will matter to me, so do your worst. Greedock's eyes swirled with pink and a deep blue, both colors of fear. Korak half set him down, half threw him, then walked to the door. It didn't slide open. Putting Vicor the Black through it must have broken it. Korak lashed out with a push kick, and the broken door disintegrated. He stepped into the hall. The four green-suited humans were standing there, stun sticks out, unsure of what to do. First one to follow me dies, Korak said. He strode down the hall, not bothering to see if they obeyed. It wasn't hard to find the gym. Korak just followed the screams of rage and pain, audible even over the screeching violence alarm. When he entered the gym, he knew the police would be too late to do anything. He saw four quith warriors punching, kicking, and grabbing at a mass of humans struggling on the ground. Blood flew in fine splatters. To the right of them, a still-twitching pile of legs and arms that had once been a key. To the left... Chodo the Bright and Virak the Mean, both holding guns. Leave that human or die, Korak shouted in his native tongue. Your true master is here. The deepest of insults, insinuating that not only were their respective leaders meaningless, but Korak was their superior. The four warriors pummeling Kyal turned. Korak dropped into a fighter stance, extended a pedipalp, and curled his fingers inward, daring them to come on. From the ground, the bleeding pile of huge human lashed out. One of his attackers went down screaming, but Korak wasn't watching that. The motion and the scream drew the attention of Chodo and Virak. Only for a second, but Korak didn't even need a full second to close the five feet and arm-lock Chodo's gun hand. Korak threw a one-two middle elbow blast that cracked Chitin, then turned and threw the stunned warrior across the room. Korak turned to rush Virak, but all Greedock's main bodyguard had to do was pull the trigger. Three bullets punched into Korak's chest. 
He fell to his knees, then slumped onto his back. How many years since he had last been shot? Had it hurt this much then? Korak lay there, hearing Virak and the heretic talking, but not registering the words. Movement. Chodo and Virak rushing by out of the gym. Leaving Korak alone with Kyle North. Korak ignored the pain searing through his chest, the feelings of faintness, and struggled to his feet. Kyle was standing there, not attacking. Where's the bastard who shot me? Ran, Kai said. I'll find him after tomorrow's fight. Kai shook his head. What fight? You've been shot three times, old man. No way was the heretic getting out of this fight. Doc Patau would patch up Korak's wounds. Even though they were gunshots, Timmy and Patah had repaired far more crippling damage in the span of 60 seconds between rounds. With an entire night to do their magic, they could fix anything. Fight goes on, Korak said. I've been hurt worse. Man, that's crazy, Kai said. You've been hurt worse, too. I'll be ready for the bout. You don't like it? Then forfeit. Shuck you, Kyle said. You want to die in the ring? Happy to oblige. Next time, mind your own shucking business, old man. I don't need your help. You don't think it's a little suspicious you showed up in the nick of time to save me? Korak coughed. He had been shot. Could the human seriously think this was a setup? If I wanted the easy win, I would have let them do what they were doing. When I beat you tomorrow, it will be because I'm better, not because someone got you first. Kai stepped over the bodies, his shoes leaving footprints of blood. The human had blood all over his face, his shoulders, not all of it his own. Teeth were missing, and the right eye was already swollen shut. But Kyle's pit crew, just like Korax, could fix anything overnight. Despite the human's lack of intelligence, he had taken the blows of multiple opponents and fought on without ever giving up. A true warrior. I've never seen you beaten down before, Korak said as Kai reached the door to the hall. There was more to respect in how you took it than in anything I've seen in your fights. One night only performance. Don't get used to it. Kai walked into the hall where the station alarm screamed. The ground hit Korak in the back. He had fallen again. Motion. Hands. Tentacles. Voices. Timmy and Doc Patah. Vicor the Black in there as well. Champ? Doc Patah said. We're going to have to get those bullets out right here. Timmy, put him under. No! Korak said. No. I want to feel it. It's near your heart, Doc Patah said. I have to cut into your chest to repair the damage. The pain will be excruciating, and I can't have you twitching. Then shut off my muscle control. Timmy, do it. Immobilize me. I don't want to go under. I want to feel all of it. If you knock me out, when I wake up, I'll kill you both. A brief silence. Then Korak felt filament sliding into his shoulder slots. Seconds later, 
he felt the odd sensation of his muscle control shutting down. Then he heard the buzz of a chitin cutter. And then he felt the pain. Every last delicious moment of it. Korak filed it away, memorized the agony. He would store it, amplify it, then give it back to his enemies. Enemies like Vicor the Black, Chodo the Bright, Virak the Mean, Greedock the Splithead. He'd kill them all, but only after he gave most of that pain to his fellow warrior, to his spirit brother on the plane of pure combat, to perhaps the only sentient in the galaxy who really knew what mattered in life, to Kyal the Heretic North. You have been listening to Title Fight, Season 2 of the Galactic Football League series. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. Produced by Ariok Morningstar, with post-production by Steve Rickyberg. For more information on Scott and more free stories, go to scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song The Kids Are Coming For You by the band Superweapon. Superweaponband.com Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.